You are listening to Creation Talk, a creation.com podcast, proclaiming the truth to honor the Creator while providing credible answers. Hello, my name is Joel Tay from Creation Ministries International, and this is. I'm Paul Price. Okay, Paul, um, so today we're dealing with this question out of order fossils. So, what is an out of order fossil? First of all, An out-of-order fossil is a fossil that is found in the wrong order in the geological column. So in other words, in evolutionary thinking, this is a fossil that is in the wrong time zone. So why do you think this is an issue? Yeah, well, it's like you said, there's an evolutionary paradigm, uh, an order that we're told we're supposed to expect to find in the geological column. And 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 it generally progresses, as you know from the story, simple to complex, um, uh, from the ocean, then eventually onto land and higher and higher levels. So, you know, there's that generalized scheme that, that we're told is supposed to be the norm in the fossil record, or it's supposed to be the exclusive picture that we see. And so an out-of-order fossil would just simply be an example where the fossils fail to line up with evolutionary predictions. Predictions, yeah. In fact, here I have a quotation by Richard Dawkins, so the famous atheist, and Richard Dawkins says this, However, if there was a single hippo or rabbit in the Precambrium, that would completely blow evolution out of the water. None have ever been found. So the Precambrium, for those who do not know, is referring to um, the rock layers, which are in evolutionary thinking believed to be more than half a billion years old. So if you can find a hippo or rabbit in there, that will blow evolution out of the water. So, Paul, my question to you, is it true that we do not get any out-of-order fossils? No, absolutely that's not true. And that's what makes Richard Dawkins' statement so disingenuous that he said that, because we know full well that there are countless examples of finding things where we allegedly should not find them. Yes. And any time that happens, it's certainly not the case that evolution gets blown out of the water. Now, Richard Dawkins uses the rabbit in the in the Precambrian because it's supposedly a, a crazy example that's way out of place. But, um, you know, we have found things that are uh, just about equally that crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you're somewhat familiar with the example of the Roraima pollen. Do you want to talk a little bit about that Roraima pollen example? Oh, yeah. So the vo- uh, Roraima pollen, sorry. Um, I hope I pronounced <laughs> that correctly. But this pollen, um, this, this mountain range is in, in South America, and I think the peak is in Venezuela. So you actually have um, a layer of pollen there that has hundreds of feet of overlaying rocks in there. And this pollen, according to evolutionists, is 1.7, some say 1.8 billion years old. So this is in the Precambrium. It's long before evolutionists believe multicellular organisms evolve. And yet we find pollen in there. Right. You see, and that's a huge problem for evolution. This is an example of an out-of-order fossil. The evolutionists believe that seed-bearing plants did not evolve until about 380 million years. Yet all the way here, 1.3 billion years before it was supposed to happen, we have, according to using evolutionary dates again, 1.7 billion years, we find pollen, a layer of pollen in there. So that's a problem for them, you see, because if the pollen is the same age as the rocks, the evolutionary time frame just collapses. Yeah. And Paul, I, I know there's this example from the salt range as yeah. well. Do you want to elaborate on that? What's that? Yeah, well, I was actually originally reading Emil Silvestru's article on the Roraima pollen on creation.com, which is a really good resource, by the way. 
uh, that particular article. Uh, when I was reading that, I came across an example that he gave kind of in passing, but he didn't really go into too much detail on it, talking about this idea of the salt range in the Punjab region of, uh, I believe, Pakistan. And so that kind of piqued my curiosity, and I did a little bit more research and wrote an article on it. So now it's at creation.com slash salt range. I want to take one second here. If you're enjoying our series, Creation Talk, please share this with everybody you can so that as many people can be aware of this really important information as possible. So with that, let me just mention this salt. Uh, the salt marls is one other word for it. It's a hill or it's a, it's a mountain range in Pakistan that is known for thick bands of salt, uh, salt depositions that there's been a lot of debate about when those were supposedly laid down and what their relationship is to the rest of the geological column, specifically that was going on in the 1940s and thereafter. And a particular professor named Birbal Sani came up with this idea. He said, uh, if these saline deposits are a product of normal sedimentation, from salt, leak, salt lakes or lagoons, and if these lakes were exposed to the air at a period when land vegetation existed, we might reasonably expect to find at least some microscopic specks of organic matter giving a clue to the life of the period. Mm -hmm. So what is he doing there? He's using uh, evolutionary assumptions, and he's saying, let's make a testable prediction. Let's see if, if this was exposed to the air, then we should expect to find uh, some type of evidence of what was alive at that time. Mm. That's where it really gets interesting because when he started looking into that issue, he and actually other researchers as well, you can read in my article on it, uh, he said, in the quest of such a clue, I examined a dozen specimens, uh, some collected as stated by myself from different places in the mines. Others kindly sent me last December by, and he mentions uh, some of the other people that sent it to him, he says, there's no question here of any cracks or solution holes, nor of any foliation imposed by thrusting or shearing forces. So that's something we're going to come back to at the end of this video. But he, that's important that he mentioned that. He said there's absolutely no evidence or no question of that type of contamination here. Mm -hmm. But he says the investigation of this material has given results beyond all expectations. Uh, he says it's teeming with signs of life. Every single piece has yielded microfossils, mainly shreds of angiosperm wood, but there are also gymnosperm tracheids with large round bordered pits and at least one good winged six-legged insect with compound eyes. And he says these facts suffice to prove that the salt marl of the Punjab cannot possibly be Cambrian or pre-Cambrian. Now, why does he say it can't possibly be that? Why do you think? Because he is um, controlled by this evolutionary paradigm that doesn't allow him to think. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, what you mentioned, um, it's flowering plants and you know, vertebrates and all kind. And I'm, I'm reminded of this quote by Michael Oak. And Michael Oak, in an article, he actually talks about how fossil ranges are extended downwards all the time. You see, every time, if you, I'm sure all of you know, you, know, you open the newspaper and say, oh, now this fossil has been found you know, much further back in time and things like that. Every single time they have to modify or extend the range of fossils, that is an out-of-order fossil. That's the reason why they have to extend the range where they think it evolved. And Michael Oak actually says this. He says, for instance, vertebrates, which is animals with backbones like fish and reptiles, have been pushed back into the Cambrian, 
where 50% or even as high as 85% of all phyla, that means all major types of animal designs, 50 to 80% of them, originated suddenly in what has been graphically called the Cambrian Big Bang. Sharks have been pushed back 25 million years. I continue. Vascular plants, 25 million years. I, I skip on again. And he says the lobster-sized centipede-like creatures, anthropods, invaded land uh, 40 million years earlier. And the discovery of winged insects pushed the origin of winged insects by flight more than 80 million years. So what he's saying is that almost all kinds of animals or creatures over the last few decades, their evolutionary age range has been constantly extended and pushed further and further back in time. Why? Yeah. Because they keep finding fossils over and over again in places that they should not be there. Yeah, there's another really good example of that. Um, I know you're aware of the the history of grass evolution, right? And uh, Yes, that's right. That's a good example. If you just go to Wikipedia, you can read on the on the Wikipedia page. It says, before 2005, fossil findings indicated that grasses evolved around 55 million years ago. Yes. What is that? That's way after the supposed extinction of the dinosaurs. But of course... Yeah, this 10 million yeah. years after dinosaurs died out. Yeah. So what did they find? They found evidence that dinosaurs ate grasses. They found evidence of grass remains in uh, coprolites, dinosaur dung, right? So what does that prove? Yes, fossilized dinosaur. Yeah, fossilized dinosaur dung. Yeah, so dinosaurs must have been eating grass. So they had to be eating grass. So what does that say? That means we have to now change our story. Yeah. And, and uh, if you read the article on Wikipedia, it says that they've now um, pushed uh, grasses back all the way to 129 million years ago. That's a gigantic change of story, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting because if you notice, they never question evolution. No. Evolution is always assumed, so they just push the origin of grass further back in time where you know it cannot it cannot be um verified. In fact if you go to the museum here in Atlanta, in um, one of the museums here, they actually have a sign that says some dinosaurs um were meat eaters but most were vegetarians. And it says that the vegetarians mostly ate leaves and shrubs. But it says this grass did not yet exist in the time of dinosaurs. Right. And this is still in the museums today, and evolutionists have moved away from that. They have had to change the age range because the fossils are out of order fossils disprove their theory. By the way, every time you change the date, it means that the previous evolutionary date is wrong. So obviously these, these problems do exist, contrary to what people like Richard Dawkins say. These problems do exist. Yes. But how do the evolutionists try to get around it? And I know you've been kind of touching on that. Yeah, so we have already shared the first one, which one way is that they extend the range. So every time it doesn't match, they extend the range of where it's supposedly evolved to account for that. And the second way they do it is that they say that, oh, this rock layer must have been reworked. And what is that? Rework means um, the stones has been mixed together after the actual event. So they can say that, oh, maybe um, something came along, like catastrophe, a mudslide, it makes everything. It could be intrusive barrier. That means one fossil got buried somehow into another layer which is supposed to be older than it's supposed to be. Or another way is that they, they appeal to contamination. For example, in the example I gave earlier on about the pollen layer that is in rocks dated by them to be 1.7 billion years old, say, oh, you know, water might carry some of this um, pollen and it seeped through the soil and that's where it formed the layer. That's the Roraima pollen, you mean? Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. It, but it doesn't work because in this case, you have hundreds of feet of sediments over it that is impermeable to, to water and contamination. There are no cracks that can actually bring these contaminants in. So this is a real problem for evolution. No, as creationists, we, we have 
we have a better explanation for this. I mean, we all acknowledge that there is a general order in the fossil record, but there are many exceptions as well. That's exactly what they do in the case of the salt range. Yes. They just claim that, well, obviously, there could not have been these organisms alive in the Precambrian. Therefore, it must be modern contamination. And uh, we already know that all the researchers at that time completely denounced the idea that it could have been some type of geological thrusting or an, a solution hole or, or what are those other things that it, it could have possibly been. So the modern uh, commentators on this say it must have been a modern contaminant from the ambient environment. So they're saying <laughs> that these researchers just allowed the most likely source is modern organic dust particles introduced from the ambient environment. Now, can you explain to me how you get a winged insect uh, into the, how, how does a winged insect float into the salt deposition? You know, it, it just doesn't even make sense what they're claiming there, but they have to because it's simply unacceptable in their worldview that that could have been a legitimate find. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So we, we speak about all this um, of all the fossils and we say there's a general order with many exceptions. So how do we as creationists explain why, why we see this general order? Right. Well, I mean, we do see a general order with many exceptions. And actually, there's a good creation.com article that, that goes into this somewhat. The, the article is creation.com slash the fossil record. Mm. You know, basically what we're finding, the more we learn about the fossil record, the less it looks like a really clear picture of an order, the more random it looks over time. And that's what we would expect if Noah's flood really was global. You know, it is a cataclysmic event. So yes, we would expect to see some general rough order as the floodwaters are passing through different ecological zones and different environments. We would expect to see uh, somewhat of a progression there. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, with an event that catastrophic, we would also expect to find lots of outliers yes. and lots of things that don't fit into that pattern. And that is exactly what we do find. Yes, I think it's interesting because the flood would also, I mean, if the flood waters come from the sea onto the land, then the first creatures that will be buried at the bottom would tend to be more of the ocean dwelling creatures. Right. As you get higher, you get, you get the amphibians, you get the fish, and as you get into land, you know, the reptiles and then the mammals and birds at the top. And that's generally the, the order that we see, like you say, with many exceptions. So to sum up this talk, um, Paul, you know, we talk about out-of-order fossils and we show that there are many, many, many examples of out-of-order fossils everywhere. And if this is true, that means evolution and the whole idea, the old earth, long age explanation for the rock layers can no longer be true. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? I think you, you did a great job, Joel. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, thank you, Paul. And if you enjoyed this session, please follow us and check out the links that we have at the bottom of this article. And we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Bye.